Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Remember, O Lord, thy servant Elizabeth, who now rests in sleep. We will continue to welcome asylum seekers. They're playing politics with human beings. This is Biden's fault. Biden's inflation. Pain to households and businesses. Telling the American people that we're going to get control of inflation. Democrats are addicted to spending. The pandemic is over. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views, new week, new day. Queen Elizabeth is uh, now buried next to her beloved Prince Philip. King Charles is going to hold a private funeral service. If you were up early this morning, perhaps you saw some of the funeral service from... uh, Westminster Abbey. Thousands of people filled the streets of London. The Daily Wire is reporting that uh, as the Queen's casket first departed from Westminster Hall, where she was lying in state to Westminster Abbey, the Queen received the funeral service attended by 2,000 individuals, including President Joe Biden and uh, Jill Biden were in attendance. Thousands of people lined the streets to uh, see one last glimpse of the uh, casket to say the final goodbyes to the queen. One wife and husband said that uh, they woke up at 3 a.m., decided we're going to go, caught the train, went down, and uh, stood in the crowd to say their final goodbyes. Uh, It was impressive. I I did get up and watch uh, part of it. Uh, By the way, I just got a text. We're not on cable, uh, Clark. All right, we are now apparently. Uh, if you if you were up this morning and uh, you saw the Queen's uh, funeral and the pageantry, pageantry I, I will say it was quite impressive. Uh, this is something. Now, the, the Queen actually uh, was the one that planned out her own funeral service, but the way this thing was choreographed, the music, the trumpeters. The military, uh, it was uh, England's pageantry at its very best. It was very impressive. I, you know, some some people poo-poo that. You know, it was interesting. It's interesting how cycles come and go. I mean, there was a time that, you know, the the monarchy was just sort of taboo and who cares and uh, – and I, I realize a lot of it is just symbolism, although they still spend a lot of money on the monarchy. But uh, it, it appears now that, and I think it's because of Queen Elizabeth II, who is truly was dearly beloved and was the genuine article for 70 years. And, you know, I know you've got the Crown TV series and, you know, they try to make something of probably nothing. And I know, I know the larger family has had issues but the queen herself has, has uh, led a pretty flawless life in terms of uh, how she conducted herself, how she fulfilled her role as the queen of England. So um, goodbye to the queen, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Charles III handles everything. You know, there was uh, interesting uh, commentary in some of the news articles that um, – 
it will be inter- interesting to see if he is if Charles is overshadowed by his oldest son and his wife that apparently are just dearly dearly loved in uh, in England. I was watching on Fox News this morning, and one thing that I really found curious, and, and maybe there's something I'm missing. I, I, I don't follow Ozzy Osbourne and Sharon Osbourne real closely, but I have to say I was really shocked that they had Ozzy Osbourne's wife, Sharon Osbourne, on as the spokesperson to discuss the feud between Prince Harry and the royal family. As the world was saying its final goodbyes to uh, Queen Elizabeth, I, I, I just thought to myself, I mean, one, why would you bring that up at that point? But two, Sharon Osbourne, <laughs> who, who probably comes from the most dysfunctional family uh, on two continents, and uh, she was she was brought in as the expert to talk on that issue. I, that I just a side comment. I, I was shocked to see that. So Martha's Vineyard is still in the news, and uh, you know, we talked about this last week. But the total hypocrisy by the rich liberals that live on Martha's Vineyard. Now, while immediately, I mean, in less than 24 hours from the time these planes landed, they had those... 50 immigrants off that island and gone within 24 hours. And what's interesting is, you know, when they came on, the immigrants came on. This is out of the Epic Times. They arrived on the wealthy island, nowhere else to go. And people said, we have no room. We have no jobs. We have no infrastructure. (laughs) Wait a minute. The day they arrived, the day the 50 arrived in the local paper, the Vineyard Gazette had more than 50 jobs listed in their paper for help wanted. The local uh, grocery store chain, three three different locations for the local, uh, the stop and shop grocery store chain. Every one of the stores has openings. There are openings for bakers. There are openings for uh, cooks. There are openings for uh House cleaners, there's, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of openings that a entry-level individual, I mean, cook and a baker, perhaps not, but a number of openings for entry-level service folks. And uh, yet they had no room. Uh, they had no room, and yet there is the Martha's, Martha's Vineyard Community Services Complex which is empty right now. Oh, and by the way, the um, because the stop and shop grocery store chain is a you know during the summer season, obviously they're servicing thousands and thousands of people. During the off seasons, hundreds and hundreds of people. So as a result, the grocery store chain actually has dormitories set up for the summer help. But the summer help is gone. They're back at school now. So guess what? They have all these empty dormitories. And they have jobs available. I, I mean, if, if, if these people were genuine and they paused for a second and they thought to themselves, well, well wait a minute. These, these, 
illegal immigrants that we say we're a sanctuary area, sanctuary island, they could actually be a benefit to us. But no, they were in such a hurry to scurry these people off the island, these people that might, you know, be a blemish upon our Camelot. They scurried them off. Uh, You know, Ron DeSantis, uh, by the way, Ron DeSantis was up in uh, Kansas over the weekend. He was uh, campaigning for a Republican up there that is running, I think, for uh, attorney general. And uh, up there on Sunday afternoon and uh, got a standing ovation for what he did in sending those illegal immigrants up to the vineyard. You know, that, that story has uh, two things attached to it. One, uh, people in mass are applauding DeSantis' genius and Greg Abbott and, and uh, Ducey in, in Arizona for doing what they're doing, saying, y'all want to be sanctuary cities, we'll, sh- we'll share the joy with you, and you can wear this as a badge of honor. <laughs> but they're not. They're ripping it off and throwing it away as quick as they can. But uh, he was up there campaigning, um, again, for an individual who's running for uh, attorney general, uh, Derek Schmidt. And uh, But here's the now, – now, I understand he's, he's a uh, popular governor right now, very popular. And he would be – you know, dr- he would draw together a good crowd. But also I, I saw this story and I thought to myself, hmm. DeSantis is in other parts of the country campaigning for other individuals. What does that mean? Now, granted, it could mean he's just out, up there campaigning for someone who wants to be attorney general, be reelected as attorney general. It could also mean that uh, he has got his uh, eyes set on a bigger prize. Uh, what's also interesting is apparently DeSantis, who is way ahead in his polling, is um, – got $122 million in his war chest. And I think Donald Trump right now in his war chest has got about $99 million. Just curious. By the way, on Friday's program, I mentioned that uh, Governor Greg Abbott did not have a primary. I, I, my blunder, of course he's got a pl- uh, primary. He's uh, Beto O'Rourke is running against him. Um, right now, according to the latest poll, uh, Abbott is uh, tracking at about 47%. Beto O'Rourke is at 38%, which is a nine-point advantage. Now, there's other people in the race, and there's probably some undecideds in there. But a nine-point um, margin is is very significant. And the other thing that's significant is this poll that was done by the University, uh, University of Texas at Tyler, along with the Dallas Morning News, is showing that as Greg Abbott is sending these illegal immigrants to other parts of the country. His polling is getting better, not worse. Even though all the liberals around the rest of the of the country are are screaming and pulling their hair out. Uh, by the way, the mayor of New York, um, he is uh, doesn't have any hair to pull out. But his uh, great suggestion is, well, let's put the illegals on uh, cruise ships. <laughs> Well, that's fine if you want to put them on a cruise ship and send them back to where they came from. That might not be a bad idea, but uh, 
Yeah. Hey, and again, mayor of New York, he's a big uh, sanctuary city guy. Hey, we're going to take a time out. We come back. I've got some audio from the 60-minute show that aired last night. Of course, Joe Biden wasn't on live because he was in the air going over to England to the uh, Queen's funeral. But uh, we're going to take our time out. We come back. Uh, I've got uh, – it was it was another train wreck for Joe. We'll talk about that when we get back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. September 19th. Arrgh, talk like a pirate day. Ahoy, my mates. That's the best I can do. <laughs> it's also respect for the aged day, so don't make fun of me, all right? Get off my lawn. <laughs> Take a quick look at your weather forecast. Mostly clear tonight, a low near 65. Tomorrow, mostly sunny skies, a high near 89. So it's going to warm back up a little bit. Tomorrow night, a low of 63 with clear skies, mainly sunny skies on Wednesday. Again, a high of 89 and a clear Wednesday night with a low around 65. A slight chance of a shower coming in on Thursday. Otherwise, uh, for the foreseeable future, it looks like uh, really good weather. And the high on Friday, 78 degrees. Get out and enjoy it. I was talking about um, the upcoming race, potentially between uh, DeSantis and uh, Donald Trump. The Daily Caller has got a uh, new poll out, or reporting on a new poll. Um, And the statistics that have come in from the primary elections indicate good news for Republicans, not so good news for Democrats when it comes to the enthusiasm gap. 52% of votes cast in primaries were in Republican races compared to 48% in Democrat races. That's a four percentage point margin. And um, according to an, an analysis out of the Washington Post, no less, In every midterm election since 2006, the party that has received more primary participation gained seats. Uh, Again, House Republicans are supposed to take back the House. The Senate, they say, is up for grabs. I think we'll probably take that too. But um, regardless of what you're reading, and again, some of the the, uh, Dobbs ruling that affected Roe v. Wade was uh, earlier this summer. There have been a number of primaries since the Dobbs came out. Some of the primaries are prior to that. But uh, nonetheless, uh, a 4% margin in enthusiasm. You know, I, again, you know, we're talking about these margins of 4 and 5 and 6%. Some, you know, it's easy to sort of shrug them out. Well, that's not a huge percentage. In, in, a, in a federal race, it's a huge percentage. I mean, and especially if it falls in the, in the right way, in the right states, in the right districts, uh, it could be a huge uh, advantage. So uh, 60 Minutes last night decided they would air the Scott Pelley interview with uh, Cousin Eddie. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I will say that Scott Pelley did bring up some issues that were important to be asked. But the way in which he asked them, you know, it was – he was so apologetic in how he asked them. And every time he framed a hard question, he would frame it by saying, well, you know, Republicans are really going to be coming at you with such and such an issue. 
and was really just falling all over himself trying to make Joe look good. But as hard as he tried, it didn't work. First of all, the White House, as soon as this interview was aired, um, as as most times, this happens all the time with Joe. He opens his mouth and suddenly you find the White House having to reinterpret what he said. Well, what he said last night to Scott Pelley concerning Taiwan was real clear. And there's no way you can come back and say, well, this is what he meant. But anyway, the White House did walk back comments that Biden made about sending troops over to defend Taiwan in the event that China invades Taiwan. Again, he made the remarks uh, that aired. Well, he made the remarks some time ago, but uh, they aired finally last night. Uh, Here's Scott Pelley and Joe Biden concerning Taiwan. Cut one. Would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. After our interview, a White House official told us U.S. policy has not changed. Officially, the U.S. will not say whether American forces would defend Taiwan. But the commander-in-chief had a view of his own. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women, would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion? Yes. No. (laughs) Now, now we don't know, but, I mean, they have this uh, one-China policy. That is, okay, we view China, and we do not give official recognition to Taiwan. That's how they've caved to communist China. Now, we have sold some arms to Taiwan, which infuriated the Chinese. But, I mean, as soon as this thing aired, the White House was, <laughs> no, 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 no. He didn't mean that. He meant something else. That wasn't the only bungling Cousin Eddie had. Uh, this, is, this next answer on inflation is unbelievable. It's uncaring. And it absolutely shows how unconcerned he is with the American people. Now, I mean, all we ever hear about, and all, Joe's always, he's made a career of painting himself as one of you guys. Yeah, I'm just the average blue-collar Joe Biden. I'm, I'm one of you guys. This guy is so far removed from the damage that his administration has caused over inflation. But here's what he said. Cut to. Mr. President, as you know, last Tuesday, the annual inflation rate came in at 8.3%. The stock market nosedived. People are shocked by their grocery bills. What can you do better and faster? Well, first of all, let's put this in perspective. Inflation rate month to month is just a, 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 just an inch, hardly at all. You're not arguing that 8.3 is good news. No, I'm not saying it is good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not, you're, I, maybe I can make it sound like all of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2%. It's, it's been, the highest inflation rate, Mr. President, in 40 years. I got that, but guess what we are? We're in a position where for the last several months it hasn't spiked. It has just barely, it's been basically even. What a horse's rear end. I'm sorry. I, I know he's the president. I know I have more respect. But look, the American people, uh, to quote a town hall, the American people are drowning eight foot underwater. They've been, now, they've been in the last two months, they were eight and a half feet underwater. This month, they're eight feet exactly underwater. But guess what? They're still drowning. (laughs) 
I mean, what a jackass. I mean, to, 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 and I, I should, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I should respect the president. I should respect the office. And, and yes, Biden, it did happen all of a sudden. What was the inflation rate when Donald Trump left office? And what is it under you? A 40-year high. I mean, inflation has not been an issue for basically the past 38 years, 39 years. And suddenly under you, it's catastrophic. Pelly also asked about um, the smartest man that Joe Biden knows, his own son, Hunter. Here's what he said. If you run again, Republicans are most likely to go after your son, Hunter, once again. And I wonder what you would like to say about your son and whether any of his troubles have caused conflicts for you or for the United States. I love my son, number one. He fought uh, an addiction problem. He overcame it. He wrote about it. And no, there's not a single thing that I've observed at all from the, that would affect me or the United States relative to my son, Hunter. <laughs> Listen, I'll, I'll give Pelly a, a couple of points for at least bringing up the issue. But he had no follow-up to that. He just, he just, oh, okay. Do you think he would have had follow-up if he was uh, interviewing Donald Trump on a similar matter? I, and how about follow-up questions like, well, well let me ask you, uh, related to Hunter, uh, are you the big guy? And, uh, well, how come Hunter says he's too broke to pay any child support for the child he fathered out of wedlock? Or are you still maintaining that the Hunter Biden laptop was just Russian propaganda? Or how about who who would pay a couple of hundred thousand dollars to your son for his artwork when he, I mean, he's not an artist, but you have people paying a couple hundred thousand dollars for his artwork. And the fact that the people that are buying his artwork are from communist China, does that not give you pause, Mr. President? Uh, or how about just this? Is Hunter really the smartest guy you know? But the uh, creme de la creme has to be Pelly asking Joe, can he walk and chew gum at the same time? You are the oldest president ever. Pretty good shape, huh? Which leads to my next question. You are more aware of this than anyone. Some people ask whether you are fit for the job. And when you hear that, I wonder what you think. Watch me. I mean, honest to God, that's all I think. Watch me. If you think I don't have the energy level or the mental acuity, then, then you know, that's one thing. It's another thing of just watch and, and you know, keep my schedule. Um, your schedule? How many times have you gone back to Delaware? How many times has your schedule says, well, he's, he, he has no schedule today? America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him uh, foot. Yeah, that's the kind of thing we're watching. I mean, we are watching you, Joe. We're watching you shuffle. We're watching you slur your words. 
We're watching Jill having to come and grab you and turn you in the right direction. We're watching you shaking hands with nobody there, ghosts. We are watching you, Joe. (laughs) That's the problem, Joe. We are watching you. That's why we are questioning you, Joe. In pretty good shape, huh? No? No? Joe, I hate to say this, and I I know I just mentioned today is have respect for the aged day. But in all honesty, Joe, all of us have relatives that have aged out, and we have seen them as they get older. And look, we'll be there. I'll be there one day, probably getting there already. But as we age out, we start to lose certain abilities. I mean, that's it's a sad uh, curse of sin on our lives. But as we age out, that happens. And Joe, that's happening to you. And that's why we are questioning you, Joe. And that's why a lot of people are questioning you. And I will say this. Uh, over the weekend, Joe hinted that maybe he will not run again. And I think uh, he is probably getting pressure from the Democrat Party. Joe, uh, you had your chance. You're in there. Time to let somebody else step in and uh, take your place. Hopefully that person will be a Republican. Hope it will be a Donald Trump or a uh, Ron DeSantis, but not uh, not a Kamala Harris or Joe Biden. We've got to take a time out. We'll be right back. News and views. He's kind of a diva. He's absolutely fascinating. Ultimate gentleman spy. Irresistible to women, deadly to his enemies, a legend in his own time. You won't believe what he's going to say next on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Here's Tom Lemprecht. So over the weekend up in New York City, a 31-year-old guy by the name of Michael Palacos goes into a McDonald's pulls a hatchet, I mean, it was bigger than the average hatchet, not, not quite the size of a true axe, but somewhere in between, pulls it out of his backpack, starts going after two other men who were in the restaurant, starts chopping on the tables, smashing glass, I guess one of those glass partitions. All of it's caught on video. I mean, there's no question who it was and what this guy did. And uh, New York Post says he's out. No bail. Just released him. Now, when this guy goes out and takes somebody's head off, why can't why can't the family of the person who has their head removed or something? I, I mean, I hope that doesn't happen. But why can when is the first person going to sue the individual? who decided that this was a good idea. And I'm not promoting vigilantism here, but I am predicting it. You're going to see, when, when that kind of thing happens, you're going to see someone out of anger, out of frustration, want to see justice. And, and when this, this kind of misjustice happens... You will see individuals take justice, what the, what they conceive as justice, into their own hands. I'm not saying it is justice. I'm not saying it's right. But I will say that when you see this this kind of 
injustice take place. And then you see the ramifications of this kind of injustice take place. You can expect someone to begin to take matters into their own hands. I'm not saying, I'm not encouraging it. I'm just pointing out the fact that it will happen. And the irony is when that happens, that person that took the matters into their own hand, they will be totally vilified. They will be the ones that end up in jail. While these, but while this Michael, uh, 31-year-old individual, is just let out, go your way. Fox News is reporting a federal appeals court upheld a tux- Texas law on Friday that seeks to curb censorship by social media platforms. This is big news. The ruling, a major victory for Republicans who charge companies like Twitter and Facebook as limiting free speech, is a step in a major legal battle that could end up at the Supreme Court, probably will. The lawsuit is challenging HB 20, a Texas bill signed into law by Governor Abbott that regulates social media platforms with more than 50 million monthly users, which includes Google, Facebook, and Twitter, and says they cannot censor or limit user speech based on viewpoint expression. In his opinion, federal judge Andrew Oldman of the Fifth Circuit Court said the platforms argued for a rather odd inversion of the First Amendment that buried somewhere in the person's enumerated rights to free speech lies a corporation's unenumerated right to muzzle speech. Today, we reject the idea that corporations have a free-willing First Amendment right to censor what people said, the judge said. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who is arguing in defense of HB 20, stated on Twitter Friday, I just secured a massive victory for the Constitution of free speech in federal court. Big tech cannot censor the political voices of any Texan. Net Choice, a nonprofit group representing Meta, in the challenging against the Texas law, said in a statement, they are disappointed with the decision. We remain convinced that when the Supreme Court hears one of our cases, it will uphold the First Amendment right of websites, platforms, and apps. Well, listen, it's, it's very clear that these social media platforms have been given certain rights because they are not supposed to be editing. They're not supposed to be censoring, and they are. Friday's ruling created what is known as a circuit split when the 11th Circuit struck down a similar social media law in Florida. A circuit split generally increases the likelihood that the Supreme Court taking up the case. They will. And quite frankly, I'd be shocked if the Supreme Court didn't rule in the same way that this uh, Texas judge ruled. Uh, You know, the interesting thing about this, I I fully expect, even though this is a victory in court, I fully expect that um, Facebook, Twitter, and Google will continue to do what they have done. They will totally ignore the uh, judiciary. This is what liberals do. I mean, we have seen it over and over again. Uh, uh, The court ruled this way. We don't care. You know, it's like, come arrest us. And quite frankly, until, I mean, if, if, if they do just go their merry way and they continue to do the censorship that they've done and censor certain political speech that they feel like censoring, if that is the case, <laughs> yeah, yeah, somebody does need to be held accountable for disobeying this judge's ruling. But you watch. I fully expect that the, those social media platforms will ignore it. 
And it'd probably be something along the lines of, well, we can't just limit Texas and not the, you know, uh, make an exception just for Texas. So therefore, we're just going to ignore the law. Hey, we're going to take another time out. Stay with us. News and Views continues right after this. Back to News and Views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. So over the weekend, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, or WPATH for short, kicked off its 27th annual conference in Montreal on Saturday night with a keynote address from... Rachel, don't call me Richard Levin, the Assistant Secretary of the United States Department of Health and Human Services, who identifies as a transgender woman, also a very unattractive individual. Levin's speech, complete with a call to action, calls off more as a comes off more as a manifesto uh, than anything else, especially from something dealing with medical professionals. But, but listen to this line. I mean, this is, this is so <laughs> this is funny. It's so ridiculous. Levin called on the audience to think of themselves as, quote, ambassadors for science and insisted on a proactive rather than a passive approach to educating the masses. Ambassadors for science. That if you um, look at your DNA, if you look at the uh, the plumbing that God gave you and you decided you want to be something else, that's science. You are accurate. You can be whatever you want. That's scientifically. Oh, that's science. Yeah, we're all about science there. <laughs> William and Geraldine Williams of Green County, North Carolina, have been living in a hotel for more than two years. Mr. Williams is a retired veteran. His wife is in dialysis. They lost their home in Hurricane Florence for four years ago and have been waiting on the state's Office of Recovery and Resiliency to finally get a roof over the head. They applied for the Rebuild North Carolina program in 2019 and say the government has pushed back the completion date of their home time and time and time again. Now, this this is an issue for Roy Cooper. The North Carolina Office of Recovery and Resiliency received $780 million in federal dollars to help people hurt by Hurricane Matthew and Florence, and yet many remain homeless. Carolina Journal did sort of a comparison between two states right next to each other, North Carolina with Roy Cooper, and then they took a look at South Carolina. Out of 4,100 projects, in North Carolina, just 789 have been completed. South Carolina, in basically the same time period, has completed over 3,000. The slow response by North Carolina's Office of Recovery and Resiliency to get people back into their homes four to six years after Hurricanes Matthew and Florence was brought to light at a legislative hearing last Wednesday in stark contrast to how South Carolina is dealing with their issues. Governor Roy Cooper, a Democrat, started the North Carolina Office of Recovery and Resiliency after Hurricane Florence to, quote, streamline disaster recovery programs statewide and help communities rebuild smarter and stronger, end quote. According to the North Carolina Department of Public Safety's website, 
The Rebuild North Carolina website says North Carolina's Office of Recovery and Resiliency serves as a leader in building resilience statewide. Those who have been displaced since 2016 and 2018 and some lawmakers beg to differ, including this couple, William and Geraldine Williams of Greene County, who are still waiting. To date, North Carolina has received $778 million for both storms. And the irony is uh, th- this money is dissipating quickly with Joe Biden's inflation. I mean, just this inflation right now. So basically, we're going to see some $70 million of this disappear strictly through inflation. North Carolina Office of Recovery and Resiliency has completed just 789 out of 4,100 projects, around 25% of the homes. They are currently complete, uh, competing five to six houses a month, compared to 28 a month in 2020 and 14th, um, 14 a month in 2021. They're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> North Carolina Office of Recovery and Resiliency Director Laura Hogshead, I'm sorry, Hogshead, blamed the uh, pandemic, supply chain issues, and labor and contractor shortages for the downward trend. In comparison, Colonel J.R. Sanderson, senior government advisor for the SBP project in South Carolina, although it's a nationwide disaster recovery program called the St. Bernard Project, testified that the average turnaround time for the South Carolina disaster recovery program was 37 days for mobile homes, 56 days for sticks built, and 88 days for complete reconstruction when he ran the project in South Carolina from 2015 to 2019, including uh, a number of hurricanes, including uh, Matthew and Florence. He also said they turned over 110 homes per month, equivalent to three to five per day. And right now we're doing three, three to five per month. Sanderson told lawmakers he would grade North Carolina's Office of Recovery and Resiliency Action Plan with an F because it didn't have defined outcomes and doesn't match the ways and means to get there. Sanderson also said that successful grantees need an estimated cost to repair where the state determines it, not the contractor. Strong auditing programs, a universal technology system of record, Uh, be policy-oriented, and write good contracts. Perhaps one of the biggest factors in South Carolina's recovery efforts, according to Sanderson, was having one implementation uh, vendor that assigned contractors to housing projects, he said, avoids anyone having to change midstream during the process and avoids bidding on individual contracts. Think of the manpower requirements to bid out each home, he said. Going out and hiring general contractors would take forever. Let capitalism work here as opposed to being anti-capitalist and do everything from a centralized government control piece. He said the contractors have to earn uh, a market share. If they do a good job of one home, he would have them assigned to more. If contractors didn't complete the work on time, they were fined $100 a day. Representative Sarah Stevens from Surrey County asked Sanderson if there's anything in HUD's requirements that prevented using the one implementation vendor system, Sanderson said no. Here's the problem as to why a South Carolina way of doing things wouldn't necessarily work for certain Democrats in charge. It's very simple. 
bureaucrats will find it much more difficult to make sure their friends could get those fat contracts, those overvalued contracts, those same friends who contribute to campaigns. Listen, I'm sorry. Follow the money. Now, will we ever have a, uh, you know, can, can we get Keith Kidwell? (laughs) <laughs> who knows numbers? Can we get a Dale Falwell who knows numbers to get in there and peel back the layers of the onions? I hope so. I hope we do because if we do, you will find that there is uh, – follow the money. It, it's it's not just incompetence with seeing that the work is done. Who Who is getting the contracts? I, I'd just like to know. I'd, lo- I'd love to be found wrong on this. Am I cynical? Yeah, I'm cynical. Daily Caller is reporting that corporate media outlets portrayed a Virginia policy barring teachers from socially transitioning children without parental permission and requiring sex-segregated restrooms in schools as an attack on transgender rights. Virginia has – so basically, Yunkin up there has said, no, we're not going to have boys in the bathrooms. We're not going to have boys in the girls' locker rooms. How does the mainstream media react? NPR headline, Virginia has moved to restrict the rights of trans students in its public schools. Washington Post headline, Virginia policy latest attempt to restrict rights of transgender students. Mike Mullen, a Democrat member of the House of Delegates, called the decision shameful. New York Times wrote that the decision was a reversal of transgender students' rights. Yeah, this is, this is an attack on transgenders. It's, somehow we forgot about that boy that dressed up in a skirt and attacked and raped that girl in the girl's bathroom a couple years back in Loudoun County, Virginia. Yeah, we forgot about that. And thanks for being with us. We'll do it again tomorrow at 5. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.